You're entering the GOAT Zoom Room. Welcome to the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm Andy Villanueva. Unfortunately, Caitlin Free cannot be here this week. And uh, you can follow us at goathandicapping.com. Today we have a few guests, but the first one is Harris Arbach of Famed Unusual Heat, Lethal Heat, uh, Metal and Arbach's son. And thank you for joining us today. It's, I've been wanting to get a bunch of breeding people on because I think it's important that there's a lot of things that need to be discussed on the breeding side of it. And Caitlin's better at it than I am about it, but I'm glad you were able to join us. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's my pleasure to be here. So let, I'm, I'm just going to start at the beginning. Um, you know, every time we bring people on here, they always have like an origin story about the racetrack. Usually it's, um, you know, my teacher ended up giving me money because he knew he I was going to the track and and we were and I was betting, so he gave me money to bet for him. Uh, you went to El Camino Real High School out in Woodland Hills, so there is no racetrack there. <laughs> uh, obviously, yours is more of a family business. How did you guys get involved? Well, it really started with my dad. Uh, he was a kid growing up in New York, and one of his favorite pastimes was to play hooky from school and go to Aqueduct and uh, bet on the horses and uh, he just loved it, and even as uh, after I was born as a kid, he always had a couple seats in a box at Santa Anita, and in the mid-70s, 1977, he uh, went to my mom and said, I want a horse, and she said, you know, I'm raising three kids, and we have a home, and we have a young business, and she, she said, if you make enough money with your handicapping, you can claim a horse. And that's exactly what happened. He claimed a horse named Bravo Bravo. In 77, he claimed them for $8,000 and uh, double jumped them to 12.5. Two weeks later, the horse won, and that was it. We never had less than a half dozen horses again. So, I mean, that, that was a leap of faith, right? And yeah. at the time, there, was no, there were no computer betting going on where you could, you could run a computer program to see whether or not a horse would, would be able to take a step up in class and be okay. You basically have to do the eye test, which is kind of a lost art. Uh, what made him decide to jump him up in class like that? Well, one of the things about my dad, he was, he was a very good student. He, he read the PPs. He, God, we had to stop every night when we were kids at the Green Jug Liquor Store to pick up the racing form obviously long before the days of electronic media. And he not only studied that, but what he would do, he'd go to the track and he'd actually look at the horses in the paddock. And he was not a horseman by any sense of the imagination, but he did know when a horse looked healthy and uh, he just intuitively, and uh, he, he thought this horse was a horse who looked better in the class he was running in, he claimed them with a very small trainer named George Williams. George only had a couple horses at a time. 
over the years, and um, it just worked out for him. So what? What did now? I read your bio on this. Uh, you went to University of Arizona for marketing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it wasn't for the horse racing aspect of it because you've already been involved in it. Um, but you didn't start working for the family business right away. You you ended up doing other things. Well, we we had multiple businesses. Um, I first went to USC and then transferred to Arizona. Uh, the interesting thing was my dad was always bugging me about the racetrack industry program, and I should look at it. And I'm like, you know what? I've spent half my youth at either Santa Anita or Hollywood Park, summers in Del Mar, and I'm going away to school to study uh, something else. And so I was a marketing major. And after college, I moved to Las Vegas and wanted to get into the field of casino marketing. And there was one problem in 1991 that didn't exist. Um, It was very limited, um, the types of jobs you could get were barely enough to where you could pay your rent. So I ended up moving back to Los Angeles and I went to work with my mom and dad in our other business, which was furniture manufacturing. I started off as a sales rep on the road, straight commission, no uh, salary. And I remember earning about $11,000 my first year out of school, but building a clientele and building a business and eventually I was lucky enough to be able to take that company over, especially when my dad was in failing health. And uh, we sold that business in 2004, but really starting in the late 90s, when my parents started breeding horses, it it piqued my interest a little bit more. Now that was a business to me, other than I always loved going to the races in the barn in the morning, but breeding was, was unique and different. You were actually uh, creating um, uh, inventory. And uh, I just love the, the mares and the babies. I've always had a soft spot for broodmares. I'm the same way. I love broodmares. I love, I love going to the broodmare sales because you always find a diamond in the rough and you always, you always wonder whether or not you can get the nick correct on it and go, you know, if I could get her for $2,000, what if I can, that first fall ends up becoming something. And I think it's the greatest thing in the world when you're able to find those those gems because then you know that all the hard work you've done leading up to it makes you a better makes you a better visionary as far as the racing is concerned as far as like what a horse is supposed to look like. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it helped us obviously having an unusual eight who was a magician with broodmares. He moved even some of the worst pages, worst mares we've ever come across. Uh, but um, it was something looking at the mares and looking at what we were doing and going to the farms and started doing really going to the farms with my mom after my father passed away in 2000 um, and looking at the babies. And we kind of figured out we that we both had pretty good eyes and for the young horses and knew what we had early on in terms of who was potentially going to be a decent horse and who might be just a runner and who might not ever make it for the races. And I I don't think people realize how many of them and some of our very most talented prospects never even set foot on the racetrack or if they get there, never make it to a race. 
Oh, I mean, it's it amazes me. Uh, I'm going to get to this a little later on because of the sales going on currently. But um, I remember being in Papa Mandela's barn and he had a horse called Avenue of Flags. And that horse was probably the best horse Papa Mandela ever trained for Golden Eagle. But he always had problems. You, he could never stay sound. And that was supposed to be Mandela's best derby opportunity before Omaha Beach, obviously. This was in the 90s. But it just takes so much to get a horse from two, just from it being born to all the way to getting it to race. There's so many things that can go wrong between point A and point B that um, a lot of people don't see. And I think that's one of the things that kind of, for me, gets me flustered when it comes to reading Twitter and seeing people say, well, this horse is, isn't good, or this horse is this, or this horse is that. Because to me, I think, you know, if they've gotten this far, they've obviously accomplished something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, some of the best horses that we ever had, uh, we had one cult in particular named Fevered. He's a, a full sibling to a graded stakes winner named Tucked Away. He was a beautiful mover. He was uh, just a gorgeous horse. And we could not keep him sound. We did everything we could and finally got him up to a race and the work before the race. Unfortunately, he came back and somehow he had uh, a, a cracked leg and he, he didn't survive. And it was so heartbreaking impression because not only was the horse talented, but he wanted to be a good horse. You could just look at him and he was competitive and all that. But we did have some success stories like Lakerville and it took us forever to get him to the races. Um, he just came coming up with minor injury after minor injury. Then he won his first two races and was a PDN rising star and he got hurt again. We gave him another six months and came back and uh, at Del Mar and won two races in two weeks and then was second in the green flash. He should have won, but he got taken out by a horse not in contention and got up about one jump past the wire too late. Um, and then we had to send him out again. We were set to run in the turf monster at Parks. And the day before we were supposed to ship him, Barry's like, he's not right. He's got to go to the farm. Again, and we finally brought him back one last time and he won a stake at Santa Anita, but it was, people don't really, the horse was so talented. I've never seen a horse come home in 10 and four down the lane at Del Mar, and he did it twice on the turf. If, if memory serves me right with Lakerville, he broke his maiden at Hollywood Park. That was that actually an allowance. That was the second. That was an allowance. That was the second He start. broke his maiden down the hill. He was 20 to one in an open company. We, we were always, you know, we enjoy the cowbred program and the opportunities, but with really good horses like Lakerville and Lethal Heat and uh, Majestic Heat, we were never afraid to tackle the open company races. And Lakerville, everybody I remember that day loved their horse in that race down the hill. Legacy Ranch had one, John Sheriffs had one, and everybody was going to win but us. And, here comes Lakerville. He's dead last hitting the dirt and runs by everybody five lengths in front of him at the wire. Yeah, I, re I remember him running. I, I he, he definitely caught the eye the first time. He caught the eye the second time. And I was always ashamed that 
he could never put more more races together. But I think that's a testament a lot to uh, the late Barry Abrams, who un- is probably one of the greatest. If people do not know who Barry Abrams and he's Barry Abrams is, he was a longtime assistant to Roger Stein. Um, but Barry could actually talk to horses. There's nobody I know that could talk to horses like Barry. And some of the ways Barry trained might look odd to the outside, but if you knew Barry, you knew he was doing what the horse wanted. Absolutely. Uh, Barry was our trainer, our partner, our friend um, until his passing last year. And uh, my dad was one of the original people who when Barry worked for Roger, who encouraged Barry to go out on his own. At the time, uh, we knew Barry worked and was the man in the barn and Roger was never there, rest in peace. And Roger was very good at locating horses and that, but Barry was very good working with them. And uh, when Barry did leave on his own, I think we were either the second or third horse to go to Barry. My dad started claiming a few with them and it was Barry's encouragement, which ended up uh, leading us to be a part of unusual heat and eventually basically becoming unusual heat. And uh, without Barry training and he knew a lot of the dams we had sent to unusual heat and he knew how they liked to run. And he was a real student in the game. He'd spend hours over in the CTBA library reading training techniques, pedigrees, everything. And just he, he, the more knowledge he could absorb, the more he wanted to. Yeah, it's, it's the lost start. Um, I, I will forever um, be grateful for Barry for helping me with a horse I took off the racetrack who broke down um, during a race. I went and picked him up and Jude Fell didn't have any stalls, but Barry and Roger did. And Barry said, well, just throw him in one of our stalls and, you know, I'll, I'll keep an eye on him once in a blue moon, but, you know, you have to do all the work. And if you have any questions, you can ask. And man, that horse, everything that Barry told me to do, I did. And that horse came back and became a, a cross country jumper and just, just an awesome horse because of Barry and, I will forever, ever remember that because I learned more about legs from Barry than I did any other trainer. And, you know, that's, that's saying a lot because I've been, I was around a lot of good barns. Yeah. I mean, I, I know most of the trainers on the circuit, at least, and many of them nationally. And I could say without a doubt with Barry, he's in the upper few percent in terms of horsemanship and in terms of just caring about the horses themselves. Um, I've been very fortunate to also have horses with Richard Mandela, who feels the same way, um, where I know uh, there are a lot of other people, and it's sad to say, to who just view the horses as a means to an end. And that's never comfortable to be around. No, I agree with that. Let's get to unusual heat uh, in a couple of ways. Unusual heat is probably... For my money, pound for pound, the best California bred stallion or California based stallion that drops so many incredible cowbreds. And he's going to be a sire of sires, obviously, because he's already done that with Lethal Heat. 
what 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 did you guys like about him? I mean, obviously he was a monster at a mile. But what, what did you guys? What made you guys think this was going to be the horse? Well, it, it's interesting. We did not get him as stout prospect. Um, Barry had admired unusual heat for a lot of years. Uh, he remembered him at the 1992 Barrett sale, two-year-old in training sale, loved him, and he didn't have that type of budget. The horse was bought out of Barrett's back when, um, and it's sad for me to say this, when California sales mattered and we had international buyers, and he went to Ireland to train with Dermot Weld, and he became a stakes horse over there, and they thought he was a group-level horse, so he got sent back to Dick Mandela, here and Richard uh, had some success with them, but he was a struggle to keep sound, which is ironic because many of his babies have been iron horses. Um, it was a tendon issue. Uh, it was kind of known on the racetrack, but he raced through it. And because he was with Mandela, uh, Richard had put him in for 80,000, uh, which was not an uncommon tag back in the mid 90s. High tag, but still not uncommon because of just so many more horses like you know, Andy. Uh, you had to wait to get in races, and there was no such thing as an optional claimer. Back then, yeah. either going through allowance conditions or you were in one of these high price claiming races. So it was at Hollywood Park, and Barry came to my dad, and my mom happened to be with him that day and said, I want to claim this horse. And my dad was always a yes, because when Barry wanted to claim it was 20, 25, 32. And that was sort of our ball game with claiming horses. And he said, this horse is in for 80. I need 85,000. Dad went, whoa. And Barry talked him into it. And we took, uh, um, I believe we took a third at the time. And we had some other partners. Eventually, when we got into the stallion part of it, they sort of left the partnership and through buyouts and just not wanting to play the long game at that point, but he ran twice for us. The immediate plan was to run him in the Shoemaker Mile. Unfortunately, Pinkai, who had been riding him, had another call in the race. We had Chris Antley on him, and he didn't run a bad race. He ran sixth out of six, but it was one of those, it was back when the Shoemaker Mile was a three-quarter of a million dollar grade two, and you'd go the Shoemaker Ball and every A-list celebrity in Hollywood was there and the horse gave us a thrill in the director's room that day. Um, the next time he ran, um, my dad was too sick to make it out. I was busy running the company. My mom went and he won. Uh, he won uh, a $125,000 claiming race at Hollywood Park. And he got with Pinkai on him and he got banned off. The tendon went. At that point, we gave him a whole year. And the original plan Barry had sold my dad on is that he's so regally bred that somebody in South America will want him as a stallion prospect. What we didn't know at the time was that you had to be a group winner to be able to be exported for stallion duty. Um, that nobody would even look at a listed stakes winner. So we were kind of stuck with him. At that point, we had a few mares coming off the track. Barry got himself a couple. 
And between my parents and myself and Barry, we threw everything we could. He stood at Walter Greenman's old farm. He got 15 mares bred to him that first year. When the babies came, they were so good. Buddy Johnston uh, from Old English Rancho and Doug Burge from CPBA came over, looked at him and said, you got to get this horse to a real farm. At this point, we got him to Old English Rancho. We hooked up with a gentleman named Pete Christoffi. And Pete knew every small farm in Central California, all the dairy farmers, all the hobbyists, all the backyard breeders. And we gave readings to everybody who wanted them. We listed a stud fee of a couple thousand dollars, but anybody who wanted a breeding could have one. And uh, we just got him going. And we got very lucky that his uh, first, uh, I believe his first four starters all won their races. And of uh, the 15 in the first crop, 11 made it to the races, nine won first time out. And one of them who didn't win first time out was his best horse out of that crop, Lenny from Malibu. So after that, he just, we just, we ended up buying a ton more mares after that and sort of got everybody excited about breeding for them. So you, you've seen the highs and lows when it comes to, to breeding in California, mm -hmm. um, in general, just in racing in general, but mostly in California. What, what needs to change? I mean, obviously there's, there's something, I, I always say that it's broken because something's not working. And I know like Sean Fowle is trying to do his best to, to help the breeding out there with his stallion. Um, but what needs to change to help out, to help out the industry out there? Well, and to give everybody a little background on how California is different than per se Kentucky or Maryland or New York even, Florida. California is so geographically spread out that in you, you, you have to ship whatever marriage you have to the farm they're being bred in, and they have to stay there. Um, so the first important thing when you're deciding where to stand the stallion is you look to see who has the most brood mares because most people don't want to ship and you're trying your best to get as many mares as possible. That being said, over the last 20 years, there's been an erosion at the farm level. Uh, we've lost many prominent California breeding farms, um, Vessels, which is now a private farm for Paul Redham. And uh, we lost EA Ranches. We lost Golden Eagle. Fiena Vista just closed its doors. This year. And on top of that, a lot of the farms in the north have gone, changed hands, Preston, Windfall. I mean, the list goes on and on. River Edge was probably the very best farm in California and San Inez. They've been gone for a while. And so the erosion started there and you lost farms, then you lost breeders, and then you lost broodmares to where the crops are now very small and they're in the hands of a very few people. Nick Alexander, Paul Redham, John Harris, and John doesn't breed half the mares he used to. Terry Lovinger breeds a lot of mares, but we don't have any depth in terms of the number of breeders or the number of farms here. And it's made it very difficult to sustain a breeding program. 
It's it's really a shame. I remember, I remember, you know, I, I've been to Old English Rancho. Um, what is it? Uh, I remember going and seeing martial law there, you know, and and uh, going over to the going over to all the farms. Uh, I worked at Gran Vista del Rio when mm -hmm. uh, Cotton Tinsley used to be their main trainer, and I used to be at the farm there breaking babies, but. Um, it just, it, it's heartbreaking because the writing was on the wall, uh, probably early, late nineties, early two thousands. And nobody, nobody did anything to, to try to fix the problem. And that, that was the biggest, that was the biggest concern for California. And, you know, I talked to a lot of people that have migrated to Kentucky and, and all this place and they say the same thing and it's like, you can run in California, but where do you run? You, you either run at Santa Anita or you run at Del Mar. If you don't have a horse that fits either place, possibly you, you, you ship, uh, you ship to Golden Gate. Um, but really there's nothing, nowhere else they can run. And so it's kind of difficult to do that, especially with the loss of Hollywood Park and Pomona clo closing was a shock to me. Because I remember, and I think I heard it from from an interview, either either you were, I either heard it from you or I heard it from somebody. But Hollywood or Pomona was actually going to turn itself into a mile track at one time. They were actually thinking about it, and they never did. They just shut down completely. Yeah, the the, the loss of racetracks sort of followed the loss of the farms. Uh, one of the issues and. I, I, I was very fortunate in the last few years with my last groups of cowbreds to find some very good horse people to help me break and train horses. But if you are breeding and you're getting into it here, even that is a chore to do. And the cost of the land and the cost of doing business in California is just exorbitant at this point in time. Um, when we first started breeding in the late 90s, and I you know, I still view us as newer breeders. We're longtime owners. But, um, but when we first started breeding, uh, the, the day rate was a third of what it is today at the farm and half at the racetrack and at the training farms. And relatively, up until this year, where they've gotten a glut of money from the ADWs, but you look at the purses last year and the year before, they were approximately the same as the year 2000. There wasn't much change, yet the costs keep going up. And uh, one of the things, and I'm sure you've addressed this in other podcasts, Andy, the experience hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse, as a matter of fact, at the race track. It, it has. As Jim Miller joins us from Hawthorne Racecourse, as we're finishing up with... Uh, Paris Arbach here. I have to. I have to say before I let you go, I have to bring up Star Spangled Heat because he's my favorite unusual heat baby of all time, uh, for countless number of reasons. The main reason is it's because he's had old friends, and as crabby and mean as he is, um, I love the horse. Uh, and he also won me a ton of money on the racetrack. I'm not going to lie, uh, <laughs> but. I mean, you get you have all these heat horses. 
I'm glad that the one thing that I was bringing up Star Spangled Heat about is, you know, you do a lot of stuff with OTB with OTTBs and with thoroughbred retirements. Uh, talk about that real quickly before we let you go here. Well, yeah, uh, real quick. And Star is also one of my favorite horses. How can you not love a November 24th fall when uh, it was a breeding mistake? Uh, we were going to ship the mare to South America. Thank God we didn't. And as the three-year-old, he almost beat a five-year-old and made an allowance at Delmar. Lost by a whisker, one next out. And he was just, he was a warrior. Um, and as much as I love Barry, he might have been the mis most mismanaged racehorse we ever owned. And part of it was our fault. We kind of knew Barry was not really Barry by then. Uh, but he was a great horse to be around. So when he was done racing, we insisted with the other owners. We owned the majority of them. He was going to old friends. We've always loved Michael and everything he does. Um, my mom started Karma. And it was based on the fact that when we were retiring money from Malibu back in 2005, we didn't know what to do with them. We had nowhere to send them, nowhere to go. There was really no information out there. She eventually, uh, through some contacts, through, I think it was Jerry Moss at the time, found Tranquility Farms and we sent them there. And she started talking to people about how are we funding these horses? And that became, she worked with John Ammerman on the CHRB and they got together and got Karma funded and founded. And then it became the genesis of the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance where she worked with some of the founding people like Jack Wolf was very prominent and Jimmy Bell and got a national organization together, which she has gone back on the board after being termed out. They invited her back on the executive committee after a year of not being there. And the two of us, we, we go to every event we can and support right now. We have, uh, I believe we put through the karma placement program, nine different uh, geldings and, um, Whenever we have a retired filly or broodmare, we take care of them for the rest of their lives. There That's are awesome. Unless somebody else would like them, but we've made that commitment. That's awesome. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because we're already 30 minutes into this interview, and I could talk to you probably for another hour, to be honest with you. And I do want to bring your mom on one day and have both of you on because I think it would, it, you know, with California racing, the way it's set up right now, I think it's good to have two, two viewpoints, especially with her being part of the board. Um, but I really appreciate the time and I thank you for your friendship as well. And, uh, you know, I learn a lot from you when it comes to the breeding programs, believe it or not, when I, when I read your tweets or I have a question, you've always been able to answer it. And I appreciate that. You're welcome, Andy. And it was my pleasure being on and, uh, you know, good luck this weekend. I know big weekend at Keeneland and Santa Anita. And uh, let's cash some tickets. Let's cash some tickets. Let's cash some tickets. That was Harris Arbach that was on for the first half hour of the show. And uh, I thank him very much for being on. And uh, pretty soon right now, we're probably going to have Jim Miller and Rachel McLaughlin. Uh, Jim Miller is known as Hawthorne Jim. He gets a lot of mean tweets sent to him <laughs> when something happens at, at Hawthorne and he's supposedly supposed to answer it. 
And Rachel uh, McLaughlin is well known as racing uh, Rachel and uh, Hawthorne Jim's actually on. We're just, of course, she's Rachel's fashionably late. late. <laughs> I'm, I'm texting her right now. <laughs> well, I, I, I sent her one. I sent her a tweet. I'm like, hey, where you at? Um, so, you know, you're expecting Caitlin. You got me instead. Caitlin sadly uh, got the COVID uh, vaccine uh -huh. shot today and it knocked her out. So I kind of, one of those things. So you get stuck with me, but we'll still have the same fun. <laughs> Good for her getting a shot though. I got my, I got my first shot a couple of weeks ago. Did you get the Moderna, Pfizer? Or? Uh, I got the Moderna shot. How, how's, the, how's the shoulder? No issues. I, I had no problem at all, but I, I get a flu, a flu shot every year. And that no issues, but no issues at all for me with the first vaccine either. Um, it was distributed to the vast majority of the people who are working on our backstretch at Hawthorne and those that are uh, there uh, as employees on the backside. And everything went very smoothly. We had uh, uh, very few, if any, issues. So that was a good thing. I here here kind of had a lot of hiccups and in Houston, and I'm glad I finally got mine. And I was sore a little bit and. I love how she just comes waltzing in and I had to pee. Those the dudes. Yeah, calm down. He's like Texie, uh, let's uh, go. Hey, hey. Fashionably oh, late. Rach, see? Oh. See? Yeah, baby. You Let go. it ride. Let it That's ride. Right. Gotta gotta pose, you know. That's my man. Oh, those are that's good swag right there. This oh, is only like the tip of the iceberg for swag. There's like the Rachel collection now at Indiana Grand. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw that. Um, I'm surprised Barshu didn't um, burn it yet. I'm uh, surprised Shu oh. hasn't burned them either. See how quickly um, she put her hair in a bun there, Andy? That was pretty impressive. Yeah, that was fast. That was pretty fast. <laughs> like some origami type of stuff. Tied in a knot. <laughs> so we have Rachel McLaughlin, uh, Hawthorne Jim Miller. Uh, myself, Caitlin, as I told Jim, he, she ended up getting this, apparently Kentucky or Cincinnati or whatever state she's in right now, ended up getting a surplus of Johnson and Johnson COVID vaccines. So oh. she ran to get hers. So she got hers. And then she like shit. Exactly. I knew <laughs> she's it. Running I, saw done. Her, I saw her tweet about that last night and my dad and Tammy and everyone who's had one literally got knocked on their ass after they took after they took it i had my moderna one and uh my shoulder hurt for three days and then my allergies kicked my ass for a week really so, yeah I've had, I've had no problems with it at all i don't know oh, you got maybe one left shoulder it's the strength of the left shoulder maybe that's all it is that's your throwing arm no throwing arms the right arm got to got to keep that thing nice and uh Nice and limber. So, say, so Mike, that makes sense. I was going to ask you before Rachel came on, why, why do you have an Indiana Grand, Indiana Grand shirt instead of a Hawthorne? <laughs> because I uh, see better, better swag. Um, uh, no, you know what? Yeah, you know what? It, it's. I think it's one of those things where I, I feel like there's this incredible swag coming out from Indiana Grand. And I've gotten this shirt, which I'm, I'm very thankful that Rachel has sent to me. But now there's shirts with her face on it. So that's like the next shirt I need. I've been pushing Eric Hallstrom there to try to make 
the Rachel yeah. and Nancy dual bobblehead, Mike in hand, just kind of going like that there. I think that would be incredible. Um, so, so this is kind of one of the, like the start of things. I, I, I got like in on, on the first run of swag. Um, I know there's a, a Rachel calendar. Um, is it, is so, it really? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, it's insane. Go to the Indiana Grand gift shop, and there's like the Rachel wing of the gift That's, shop. It, it's, it's pretty too impressive. far for me to. I can't wait for me to drive. Is it? Uh, I'll send you one. I always send anybody. Everybody I do a podcast with, I send a shirt. So I'll send you one, Andy. Oh, I don't. I'm not begging for the shirt. I'm good. Uh, well, you're gonna get one, so. <laughs> don't have to beg no. if, you, if you just go after rachel with some excellent twitter content she'll come back to you and fire back and then you might be able to slide in that you need a t-shirt so here's, on top of it. Here, here's the funny thing with with uh with this whole situation uh, my first my first wife i actually proposed to her at hawthorne race course no way on um on dubai world cup day when invasor won okay so that that was kind so of I was fun. there that day. I was there too. I was up in the clubhouse. <laughs> All right. Um, I hope you were there. I lost the, well, yeah, I know, really, right? She almost lost her finger um, <gasps> to a VW van trunk. Oh my um, god! Yeah, it was it was an eventful trip. It was fun though. Oh um, but and then for Indiana Grand when it first opened, I actually went to go see the before I ever went to go see anything else at the racetrack. But um, when I started working for Bruno DiGiulio, or when I was working for Bruno DiGiulio about seven years ago, I told him we need to start following Indiana Grand and start doing selections for him. So he had me doing them. So I would be tweeting out to Rachel about it and she'd ignore every single tweet. So I felt really what? special. Whoa. And Wait, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> it gets way better. So um, Bruno said, hey, you know what? I want you to go to Indiana Grand and try to run into Rachel so you, so you could give her the sheets because he wanted to give them the Racing with Bruno sheets. So I drove all the way from Lexington to Indiana Grand one day, and she was so busy I didn't even bother her. But Aww. I made a ton of money that day, so I was happy. <laughs> I am always so busy. I'm so sorry. But, so then we went to, uh, this, is, this is probably going to be the saddest story ever. So then we went to a Crestercom at Churchill, right? Oh, no. And Bruno had, Bruno was, there, Bruno was there, Bruno was there doing a show or doing no, a I was there, so I had to panel. do something bad. You were there. Um, and I went to go say hi to you three times and three times you walked right by me. Oh, what did he like, buy you? Yes. Why didn't you stop me? Because I don't do that. Oh, I don't want to. Be, I don't want to be the type of person that tweets out, "Hey, look at the feet," you know. Oh. <laughs> look at her shiver. Oh, hey, Andy, Andy, Andy here. Don't, don't worry about time? it. Have I even told you? What about the feet? The feet no, thing? No. Oh my god. What oh, you don't know? How do I? How no, do I want. I want to know, know now. Tell it's me. A Twitter thing. Tell me what's that, what happened, Rachel? It's a Twitter I, thing. You know who has um, perpetuated this? Like this was when it first happened. Was C.J. Johnson? God, it was so freaking funny. Um, there was a guy. There was there are quite a few men on Twitter who like feet. Um, and okay. 
every time there was one guy I had to block actually the like my friend who was the social media manager at the time blocked and like didn't even tell me about because it was so creepy but they will literally every picture that I post that has like an open-toed shoe it's like they immediately start at like saying nasty stuff about feet and like they they ask for if oh and if I post a picture that has closed-toed shoes they at they comment why do you have on shoes that we can't see your feet like it's just so creepy but I would not do that Andy if you just if you walked by and said, hi, I'm blah, blah, blah. I so, love talking to people. So here's, here, here's the whole deal with me, right? I'm, I'm the, t- so I got, I got a lesson from Danny Sorensen when I was 23 years old at Santa Anita, where he pulled me aside and said, you know what? You have a future in this game, but your biggest problem is, is your mouth. So what I recommend you doing is shut the fuck up and just <laughs> listen. And so that's always been my thing. So if somebody doesn't talk to me or somebody doesn't acknowledge me, I just shut the fuck up and don't say anything. And I'll let people walk by because it's not my place because a number one, I don't know if you're busy and you need to go somewhere. You need to go from point A to point B. And so I just let it be that way because I don't want you sitting there going, Oh man, I got to talk to this guy. Who is this guy? What does he do? If you don't want to talk to people, then don't do this job. You know, hey, I, you, you got a point there. That is, all right, all right. So any, anyway, Andy, just so you know, last year I made my yearly trip to Indiana Grand, okay? Now for me, I'm busy at Hawthorne during the summer because we race harness during the summer and that. I coach my kids' baseball team. I have a lot going on. So I'm like, man, I've been finally able to carve out this time that I can get to Indiana Grand. I'm going to go out there. My best friend in the whole wide world is there, the jackass. Nancy Holfus is there. <laughs> Grayson Rachel M is there. I'm like, this is perfect. All right. I go out there, Andy, get there. The day I get there is the only damn day of the meet that Rachel is off because she's out of the wedding. wedding. When I found she's that out, fi- wait. she was officiating a wedding. She was. You know how and to my do daughter that was too. a flower girl. It was our cousin's wedding. Oh, that's cool. That's actually a really good story. If I, if I was just going to it, I would have not gone, but I was in it, so I had to go. I had a trophy so, to deliver too, and she, and she couldn't even accept the trophy. I'm still holding on to it now. <laughs> so, right. here, so here's my here's my uh, question for both of you. Obviously, what got you guys involved in racing? You go first, Jim. I'm going first. All right. Um, all right, I'm going to age myself here. Uh, this month is 27 years in the game for me. Mm. So uh, I started out in racing as a summer job in high school at Arlington Park. And I worked in guest services. They had uh, different designations, green coats, red coats, yellow coats. Yellow coats were like the wagering guides. Red coats were like the people in charge. Green coats were like the peons. So I was a green coat. Um, so I got the jobs like, right up and down the elevator, pushing the buttons for the people in that. Um, I got kicked off the elevator after the first day because whenever a race would come up, I would stop on the floor, hold the door button open so I could watch the race on the TV outside of the door. And it was always buzzing because people wanted to get on the elevator. Halfway through that meet, I happened to be standing in a window well type of thing right next to the press box. So I got to know Joe Christofek 
who was just getting started in the game as well in the press box there. Joe and I kind of struck up a conversation, uh, got to know each other uh, throughout the course of the remainder of the meet. Uh, they needed help at Arlington Million time that year. So I moved into the press box to assist them for the million, um, was in the press box uh, for the next three years after that, um, made my TV debut handicapping horses at Arlington when I was 18 years old, had like some nasty $50 type suit on that I was wearing. I uh, look kind of looked like a pimp on TV. It was actually kind of funny. Um, but, uh, and, uh, and then after that, uh, got drafted to play baseball in 97, shifted over to Hawthorne then, and have been at Hawthorne ever since. So what team did you get drafted by? Uh, Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, it was funny. The day they drafted me, they did a uh, player interview and asked, uh, who's your favorite baseball team? And I said, the Chicago White Sox. So I was, a, uh, I was a favorite from the start in that organization, but played four years and uh, four years of minor league ball. And it was a blast. Did you uh, play? How high did you go? I got the high A ball in the minors. So I played uh, rookie ball, low A ball, high A ball. Um, had one year of big leagues uh, spring training, which was incredible. And uh, Mar- was that at Marysville? Yeah. Yeah. In Maryville, and Maryville. And it, it was nasty at the time. Um, but for me, being a degenerate gambler and also being a pitcher for baseball, you got your work done early in the morning. So my spring training routine was get my work done as, as quickly as I can in the morning, get in the car, head to Turf Paradise. I hung out with Luke Kreitbosch every day in the announcer's booth at Turf Paradise. <laughs> and then we would go do Lord knows whatever after and had ourselves a good time. And then it was just kind of, Wash, rinse, repeat, go from there and, uh, and do that all through spring training. But it was excellent. Uh, did that for four years. And uh, I'll tell you, I mean, it, it, it killed me when Luke passed. Uh, such a good guy. So much fun. Just, just, just a great person. Uh, but great memories. And uh, I, I definitely exposed a lot of the uh, higher priced uh, draft picks who had some money to spend at the uh, races early on at Turf Paradise. Luke was, was and always will be one of my favorite humans on this planet um, awesome guy i i can't say anything there's i don't think there's anyone in the racing circuit that's run into him or a talk to him that can say that he was a bad person and that says a lot in this business all right rachel story time um i um my start in racing was there's nothing to do in Anderson, Indiana, where I grew up. Not anything except Hoosier Park, ladies and gentlemen. And my grandpa, uh, Killer Kowalski, may God rest his soul, he died last year. He uh, taught me how to read a program. And um, that's what my mom, you know, we would do. Like, even my mom, you know, she would go and there wasn't a casino or anything yet. And that was just what you did on the weekends to go places if you weren't going to go to a bar and I was horse crazy from forever. I, um, just rode lessons, anything I could do to, uh, get around horses. And so when I went to ball state and I had my, um, 12 credit out, it was like a full semester was all you did was get a full-time, um, internship in the, in whatever industry you wanted to work in or try to anyways sports marketing, I um, was like, I gotta go with horses. I need to do horses. 
So I was really turned into a handicapper. I mean, I knew about horses. I knew about racing. I knew how to read a program. I knew how to make a bet, even when I wasn't probably old enough to be to be doing so. And but I didn't know really anything about handicapping. So they kind of turned me into one. And after I did well with the TV announcements and I was natural on air, then Brian Elmore and Tammy offered me a full time job doing that. And then I just naturally liked thoroughbred and was better at thoroughbred. So I followed thoroughbred when it came here. I was just on a Zoom call with one of the U of L students wanted to interview me for her project. And I was talking about how it used to be three months of harness. And then we take a three week break and when they switch over the track surface. Those are the days I forgot about that. I got three weeks in the middle of the, the, the season just to like go into Hawaii one year. Like those, those were the days. Now 120 day meet is just a lot. But yeah, that's how I got started. I, I think it's always interesting how people find their starts it's usually like jim is oh, i just went to the track um i'm the same way i i did the same thing uh, i grew up in the shadows of Santa anita so when i was old enough to get to the racetrack i would get to the racetrack even if it meant missing school um but i think it's so interesting how everybody that comes from the racetrack has some sort of background to it or finds a way to get to it mm-hmm. what so i watched what? arlington park burn down it was the day before my 10th birthday i sat outside the uh i sat on the curb across the street with a box of donuts and watched it burn down no way you know that, hmm? july 31st you know 85 so uh, here's the biggest question i have about nancy yuri yeah <laughs> yes hit us with it, it. hurt did her mom was her mom ever in California or an owner of horses in California? No, she didn't own. So her dad okay. was a jock. Uh, Nancy spent many a year in California. I mean, I don't think Nancy's that old though. That's the problem. So <laughs> How they're, old they're, do you think I am? <laughs> We're the same age. Well, I think I think you guys are in your forties. I know Rachel is. I think Rachel's like in her twenties. Um, so she's a baby. Like I'm, I'm like almost at fifty. So, or I am fifty. So I'm so in my thirties. Thank you very much. Well, we'll just say you're in your twenties. Uh, <laughs> Take it. But you know, I, I thought it was Nancy that that did it, but maybe now it's not. But when my sister used to ride a Delmar. Uh, mm-hmm. There was an owner, and I swear my sister said her name was Nancy Yuri. I could be wrong. Well, and Nancy, she used to say... Nancy worked for West Point Thoroughbreds for a while. Yeah, but this was like in the early 90s, so no, I don't think it could be. No, no but this owner used to always go, from me to you, from me to you to the horse, like before the race and then during the race. That's all she would do. She would just keep doing this the entire time. And... Uh, the entire race, and my sister would be like, "He's he's he's something. He's <laughs> something. She's something." Never heard of that before. Yeah, so I don't think it was Nancy Yuri that we're talking about. Might have just been a Nancy that, and I just got Nancy Yuri with it. So have you met have you met Nancy before, Andy? Um, in passing, I really haven't. Another one of those that 
I actually ran into her at uh, Oaklawn okay. at the best uh, steak place there one time. What is it, Bones? Is it Bones? I don't know. I go uh, wherever she tells me to go when I visit. I basically, I basically saw her, waved, and walked away. Right. Uh, because again, it's one of those things where I don't like bothering people. Sure. Well, yeah. here I can if tell I were you to run into you, I would do that. You can bother me whenever you want. That's fine. Um, Nancy, if you were to watch her cheer for one of her horses, I'm sure Rachel's seen it in person too. You will definitely be able to hear her. Mm-hmm. She will be screaming almost the entire race, especially if the horse is in contention. She'll get louder. She may pull out her program and use it as a whip, and and not necessarily whip herself either. If you're in if you're in the area around her, uh, you mm-hmm. got to watch out for that as well. And if if it's close at the end, there could be some jumping too. I do not go around Nancy. I learned very early on. I don't go around Nancy when she has a horse in. I stay far, far away. Yeah, she's got that ability too to to go like this and just kind of crack you across the shoulder real quickly (laughs) if if it's unexpected and you don't really know either. So you you have to be prepared for that as well. But I've gotten that over the course of uh, knowing her as long as I've been in the industry, so 27 years. So uh, uh, you learn. You learn real quickly. So what? I really have to ask this. I've never asked Caitlin this, so I'm going to ask Rachel this. How strange are your DMs? Oh, my God. Okay, that, that was it. That's all I you want me to, to You want me to read some of them? One guy the other day, like, want... he, like keeps sending me. No, one. read them. Read them. Okay. <laughs> Finally, the other day, he said, okay, yes. last chance. Will you please marry me? Like, are, I'm married, dude. Like, I'm already married. Um, here, I'll call. I'll just call Shu out. Shu gets drunk, and he just texts me. He goes, I love you. Out of nowhere, like at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, he, but, but you know you. what? That's not, that's not really calling him out because he does that to Caitlin, and he does it, he to, does it to everybody. Off of the group chat. Exactly. He do it to yeah. me, thank goodness. Um, oh... Ask me if I could please come to Royal Ascot. They will fly me out. My friend is hot. Sex A A A A A A Y. I'm totally getting ammo for messages I can send Rachel now. Oh my God, shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> People all sometimes will like ask me like if I know people like that they can they they can like the owners in California um, can we get I, I a did cameo send you that cameo app where you can like give people shout outs? Oh, you should so do cameo. What is, so what is it exactly? Cameo, like, that- you basically they basically pay you. They basically pay you to say hi to somebody you don't even know. Really? We need oh, to get this app. Ra- Rachel will get so many more requests. You could you could easily make like ten dollars per cameo. Like, oh, it's my what? friend's birthday. Downloading it right no, now. No, you know what though? You know what though? I uh, fair warning. CJ may see it and may ask you to you, because you have to do what they ask you to do as far as, as far as that. So I could see him going, hey, just show me feet for like twenty seconds. No, oh, my. But God. I mean, at at ten dollars. Hey, now. Yeah, that's true. That's like that was that whole thing with like I didn't even know what OnlyFans was until just oh, recently. No. 
I had no idea. I did not know, literally. Like, and there was something going around where everyone was trying to figure out who had had one. Most of the messages I get to tell you the truth are either complimenting me on my looks or they are asking how they can get a t-shirt. Like that's all they want to know. And I, I literally say all the time, people want to buy them. Like people want us to like create an online shop and, and they want to buy Indiana Grand uh, shirts. And what can I do to get one? Uh, can you give me one? Can you draw another name? Why don't you ever draw my name? When are you doing another t-shirt giveaway? Like people literally act like our t-shirts are made full, made of gold. You and you give enough of them away too. I mean, you you have enough options out there on Twitter. Oh. You're more active than so many other people. And, and yes, I literally just packed so many of them because I've been just giving them to people. Like I don't give the t-shirts to people, but I did send some like loyal followers that I know yeah. and I recognize their names. If they asked for like a sticker or, or a calendar, I was giving those because we normally give away the calendar, do like a calendar giveaway, anyways. But the t-shirts, you have to earn them. People just think that I'm just going to send them to them because they keep asking. No, I mean, in all fairness, <laughs> you did send them to Barshu. Of all the people that really don't earn anything, Barshu. Well, that one. was because he sent me like four t-shirts and I burnt them and a koozie. You realize that he got a bump in sales when you did that. I know. And followers too. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was hilarious. Oh my god, that was you should have seen some of the chat stuff that goes on in some of the chats that we're all in. It was like this is plastic, this is great. Bar will never because Barshu will send stuff to Caitlin too. Like, why you was so and so? I'm much better, blah blah blah. And it's like honestly, he's like, like the, the most he's like the when he's not acting like that he's actually a pretty nice guy he just oh he's one of the greatest people in the world yeah he it, is just that some of that stuff he just loves to create twitter drama those guys do you just gotta kind of let them do their thing but it's funny because every time we like eric and i would lipstick gate like you create some drama people get they like it a little drama never hurt nobody well i he i so i had i had this brilliant idea of putting together a podcast network for horse racing because you know they already have a couple of podcast networks but you can never have too many podcast networks right so i had reached out to barshu and them and dgen and told them about it and then they got quiet and they never told me why and lo and behold it's because they were coming out with dgen nation and it's like you know you guys could have given me a heads up and told me i would have kept it quiet that happened to me, me and Megan, me and Megan Devine were legit talking about doing a podcast. And then all of a sudden she, she started or got on with horse racing happy hour, which I love Megan. We were just talking about it, but that, I feel like that happens a lot. People, well, you, we you know how, each other ideas. You, you know how I started this podcast, right? Mm-mm. This podcast was never intended for me to be the host. It was supposed to be Caitlin's. I, I started the website for Caitlin because I thought Caitlin needed a voice to be able to get out and be able to start doing what she wanted to do, which is be, be a track, be someone who can do track analysis, be someone who could be on the track. And this was, this was the best way to do it because she would be able to, to use her interviewing to do it. 
Yeah, she is. I'm sad that Jim didn't get to meet Caitlin. She's really sweet. She's I'm had sorry, yeah, she chats with us, and she's really she's really cool. What is the so the lipstick gate? How many awesome. people complained about it? How many it people were awesome. on your side? Oh no, it was hilarious. But and and hey, and kudos to Eric Hallstrom too because he was a very good sport through all that. And I've known Eric for a while. Uh, he's definitely an asset. Hey, Indiana, he, he was a very good thing. sport. What's that? He came up with the whole damn thing. Smart man. Yeah, he's yeah sneaky. So you what? Think Eric's all like putting up with me, but really, he's like, "You should do this. That'll be hilarious." Hey, how close are your offices to one another? Just right down the thing. Is he there now? No, I think he left. Oh, I'm texting him. Text him and tell him if he's still here to come down to my office. Are you in your office? Yeah. All right. You uh, go, go. You can talk to Rachel for a minute. I got text Eric. <laughs> the lipstick. Would you? Would you? Did you want to know about the lipstick? Game? No. Oh, who? What, no. My whole deal is, is that I mean, you of all the people you create. If you were to create drama with anything, I think you'd get your white knights, and they would come out as like Rachel's army. It would be scary if you decided to go after somebody. Yeah, I see the do. people that are your followers. They, they're not as big as like Levitard, Levitard and Friends Army or Stu Gotts Army, but yeah, they're man, very loyal. They're pretty strong. They, they are. They are. Yeah, they. It's funny. I have to kind of some of them that I've known for a long time that get upset about the whole thing. I've messaged them and been like, "Listen, guys, like." Don't don't come after Eric. It's just it's a joke. Like I mean, he really does owe me lipstick money. But we drug that thing out and tried to come up with as many funny things as we could. Um, but it it did kind of come up like organically because I really did kind of call him out on social media because my the mask rule. Um, and then he you know obviously came back because he's very witty and such a smart ass and then it just became this whole big like thing and it just kind of blew up people were just on it and then my my guy that used to actually work for me he was my intern and then they stole him over in the casino and he's social media coordinator um he came up with he was like oh my god this is hilarious you should call it lipstick gate so then it was like had its own hashtag and then he's He's buying beer. That's adult. The ham's crap. That was all his idea. And then he roped poor Bill into it. Pretended like he was buying him like really super expensive binoculars. It was fun. That whole thing was a lot of fun. But yeah, people do. They get really upset, and I have to tell them sometimes. I feel like you guys calm down. It's it's all in fun. So the so how how good how how strong is the Hawthorne stuff going on? I'm supposed to be asking you some questions about. The casino and oh yeah, I do want to know how that's going. I do want to know how is the casino going, and I mean, how's the meat going, and all that. Because you know, technically, we are supposed to be talking about some stuff horse racing and not just joking around the whole time. What last time I heard though, you what what were you saying about the heart? You were like having to wear a hard hat around. Like, where are you at with that kind of stuff? So where I'm located at the track, um, I'm in the press box. Our press box staff is the only group that is still in the main track building anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody else is either off-site or in kind of a temporary location. So um, Andy, you've been to Hawthorne, so you've seen kind of how the setup is or, or was. Um, right now, everything is completely gutted. So they're, 
there's no floor, no bedding carrels, no TV. The stadium seating that was on our second level has been completely knocked out. It, it, it is a shell of a building and that is it. So uh, we were removing thousands of miles of wires um, to, to get everything cleared out. So we've been working on that, getting everything kind of in like the demo phase. So right now the track itself, um, for me to go in, uh, I don't have elevator access. So I actually walk up a fire stairwell uh, to get up to the press box. And yes, we are in a construction zone. So I'm wearing a vest, I'm wearing a hard hat and that uh, to go up there. When they were in the midst of their demolition, um, it felt like an earthquake up in the press box, just how, how much the building was moving. So uh, construction-wise, things are, are definitely moving along. You're looking sometime in 2022 for the opening of the racetrack, casino, sportsbook, all combination. Um, for us in Illinois, the location is incredible because uh, within 10 miles of Hawthorne, you have three and a half million people. So the amount of people that can go to the uh, casino and racetrack is enormous. Um, so that's going to be good. The, the expected handle that comes from it, the expected casino handle that comes from it, and the purses that are going to be derived are all excellent. So that's a good thing. Um, currently for our spring meet, it's actually going really well. Um, and, it, and it's kind of surprising a little bit, but uh, we didn't have the spring meet last year. We're racing this year. We had a really strong fall meet, though, and our fall meets usually are better meet, but that's something that uh, we, we get help racing in the fall in the Midwest because we're getting back horses that have been racing at Indiana Grant, so they're fit. We're getting horses that have been racing at Canterbury, so they're fit. Uh, Prairie Meadows, then you get Arlington, then you get Fairmont, then you get the horses that can't compete at Keeneland. Um, they all converge on Hawthorne, so our fall meet, we average like 10 starters a race. And when you're, when you're a better, that's what you want to see. You want full fields, you want competitive racing. And I think some of that attractiveness has carried over to the spring. So betting wise, it's been good. Um, Mother nature has been really good to us. It's going to be 70 this weekend. So we're back on the turf course on Sunday, which is kind of unheard of to be on the turf this early in the year, at least for us at Hawthorne. So we're going to give four, four weeks of turf racing in the spring, uh, but it boosts field size, it boosts quality of racing in that. So betting has been very good. Um, the meat's been good. Uh, for me, of course, if, if I could do the construction myself to make it go a little bit more quickly, I would. Um, but, but at least we know it's coming. We know it's in the future and it's in the very near future. And uh, so it is. It, it, it's exciting. And I think what it really does is you're going to see kind of a circuit where it's going to be strong with us. It's going to be strong at Indiana Grand. It's going to be strong at Canterbury Park. But everybody kind of works in coordination with one another. And I think that's what's going to benefit us all, too. With with the uh, with the sad uh, knowledge that Arlington Park is closing, how much how much of that is a positive for you? And do you guys see taking some of those marquee races and bringing them over? Um, for the races, I don't know. Um, racing dates, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to have to work to fill the void there. Um, right now, we're in a situation in in Northern Illinois where you think about it. Uh, 20 years ago in Northern Illinois, uh, upstate Illinois, we had five tracks between Thoroughbred and Hardest. You had Sportsman's Park, Arlington Park, Hawthorne, uh, Maywood Park, and Balmoral Park. Uh, next year, there's going to be one. Uh, so you're having to, uh, having to handle both breeds of racing. Um, we're now the only track left in the United States that does a track conversion, too, between uh, Thoroughbred and Harness track. And uh, 
it's something where we, we've gotten it down to a science. We can do it in about 72 hours. Uh, it's a lot of manpower. It's a lot of expenses. You can do it in 72 hours? Yeah. Uh, we get done, with, we get done with races, and, and as the field's turning onto the backside, you basically have the blade following them, starting to strip off the track. So, wow. Wow. You know, we, just, we just do three eight-hour crews and just rotate through, but uh, it's uh, crazy. It's crazy. So, yeah, so – for 2022, we're going to be really busy. We uh, we don't know what the schedule is going to be just yet. Um, it's going to be more or less working with our Horsemen's Association groups, working with our racing commission and everything. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to pick up. And it's sad. It, it, it is. It's sad that Arlington Park is, is going away. Arlington is where I started my career. Arlington is a gorgeous racetrack, a gorgeous turf course, uh, so many incredible races that have happened there. They've hosted a Breeders' Cup. So, so to have that... Uh, kind of be uh, out of play is, is sad. It makes it tough on the horsemen. I, I owned horses for 12 years, so I, I know when you're looking for spots to run and what the expenses are in that, you, you need to do everything you can. So on that end, it's going to be tough. On Hawthorne's end, it's going to be good because uh, I'm going to be very busy. Uh, but the whole concept of a weekend uh, no longer really exists. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that's something that I just, <laughs> I knew going into the game, but uh, like Rachel said, you, you cherish when you had that three weeks. And uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to see three weeks uh, consecutively again, uh, at least in the very near future here. Mm, yeah. What's, go what's going on? So bring us up to date with Indiana Grand. Uh, the one thing I will say, and we'll, we'll say this on the podcast because you've already, I already texted, tweeted you, is that our website is going to release selections every single day for Indiana Grand. Um, because a, we love the, we love the product and B, um, that's a fun place to go. It really is. I'm sending out the Twitter, the Twitter pick winner for the day right now. Um, the, it's okay. uh, I, I just, I just shamed CJ, by the way, just let me know. Uh, while we're on here. Um, so the, uh, new stuff that's going on here is uh the rule change that everybody wanted changed with the surface in the middle of the pick uh, sequences has been changed by the commission so thanks to eric for listening and getting that done um if we i call it the free bingo spot what do you guys call that that rule change where like if the surface changes in the middle of the sequence you just call it the, like an all yeah it's an all race yeah yeah well i, I call I, it i call it the I'm screwed race because it usually means I'm probably knocked out already. <laughs> well, I like to call it a free bingo box. That's what it seems like. To no, me. I think, I think that's a brilliant idea. The bringos. I think that's a better way of explaining exactly what it is. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so that rule changed and we lowered the pick four and the pick six down to, um, down to 15% and then the pick five is at 11.9%. Yeah. So everybody's super excited about that. I just got the collateral, like the graphics for our um, exotic animal races, which that was, yeah. So you have to come that day because Mr. Rip off your finger to win the, was it the yes. for the camel race? No way. When is this happening? Hold on. Let me look. I just got the graphics from Tammy. Andy, you you understand how good of a camel jockey I am, right? No, I don't. I don't lose. I don't really? lose. I'm four, I'm four for four in camel races. So can I like can I like share my screen so you guys can see this? How does that? Yeah, give me a second. That? 
This is exciting. Here, I'll bring it up. That's not it. There you go. There. Do you see it? No. No. Come on, Rach. It's up on my screen. Well, yeah, on yours. Hold on. Oh, I thought share. I thought I could like share it to you. You can. You can share it to everybody. How do I do that? You didn't click the share the share screen. Oh, uh, hold on. I did it. It said he denied me. Oh, oh there, there, there. Well, geez. There's there a there it is. See it? Yes. So it's um oh, July 24th. July 24th. Ostriches, camels, and zebras. Ostriches and then are you get really to, nasty. Yeah, this Saturday. Oh, no. So I'm really Zebras are nastier. Zebras, Zebras are, are pretty nastier. nasty. Well, Zebras Eric are Eric tells a funny story about know, the guy that brings them. He says that he lost a thumb from one of the zebras. Yeah, I can believe that. Bit it right off. I can totally believe there, it. I'm trying to find my camel picture now, Rachel. Yeah, find your camel. So anyways, we've got that. We have... Um, in June, we've got a couple of fun event days. I'm going to do T-Rex races. Um, I'm going to make all <laughs> the jockeys dress up in those blow-up T-Rex costumes. I was going to do that last year, but, you know, COVID. And then... We own uh, two costumes, by the way. You what? We own two T-Rex costumes. You in do? House. I do. You I know what you should really... Away. You know what you should really do with that? What? With that T-Rex deal. You know those blow-up ones where you could... You could Bake somebody out like they're just standing still and you just pop out of somewhere and scare them. Oh, yeah. You should really do that, like that near hilarious. a bedding window that's and videotape idea. it. That's a good and idea. Videotape it. That would be funny. That'd, be, like, that'd like, be viral on racing Twitter. Well, why um, not? Yeah. Uh, we have like six Saturdays. We also are moving our post to 225 um, as well. Um, what else? We have July, you know, we obviously have the Indiana Derby, um, that is still going to be, um, on a weekday here. I have it all right here. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is 225, Thursday, 325. We've got the quarter horse, um, Saturdays, and then there's a special regular, like thoroughbred with two quarter horse races or a few at the end on October 30th, which is like Indian champions day. Um, June, we have the T-Rex races and International Fest, which is fun. Derby. are you combining those? Huh? Are you combining the T-Rex races and International No, they're different days in June, but they're just both in that month. <laughs> also, That'd we're not. That would be awesome, though. Both things in July are the exotic animal races and Derby, but they are not combined. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good, too. Yep. When is, when is Derby Day? Is it the, the 17th or the 31st? I knew 31st? you were about to ask me that. Let me look. I just want to make sure that I'm you have it in my I'm just, calendar. So cool. I, I need it. I need an, I know that the 24th works for me to come out there just to watch Jim win again. Um I'll drive up to see yeah. that. The guy the guy who does the camels is insane. I mean he's, he's, what Eric he's said. funny. But that's what Eric said. He said that I mean, he's like crazy. The last we'll guy, I'm trying to find the camel video here. Oh, here we go. Uh, hold on one second. Let me see if you guys can see this on your screen. So. Oh, oh nice. Look, at that. Yes. Look at that perfection. 
on a muddy surface too. Muddy, wait, here's the more important thing. You're like, you won. Like how many years? Look who's ago? behind me. There's two people behind me. But wait. If you can see it. Check out that girl. She like fell off the side oh, of the no. She's mid fall. <laughs> oh, so good. Okay. Indiana Derby is uh the seventh. Oh. Yeah, I won't make that. It's Can't Wednesday, that. July 7th. I'll be down there for the, I'll be down there in April to watch racing because I'm going to go up. I got to do it. I got to be a tour guide at Old Friends from oh, cool. April 22nd to April 27th. Well, and wait, then, just so you know, it's um on in April, we only race the 13th and the 14th. So Tuesday and Wednesday. And then the rest of April, we only race Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We don't add Thursdays until May. Yeah, but I'll be there on the 26th. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. That's Monday, Wednesday. That's yeah. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Cool. Good. Good deal. Um, and then I'll, I'll come out the 24th. Who gets weekends off? I don't get any days off. Yeah. Look at her over there. She going to be taking care of Dr. Doolittle on the farm at home at that point. You know you, guys are, you know, you guys are more than welcome to just come on here anytime you want, just to liven things up, just pop in, <laughs> pop out, fun, whatever you want. <laughs> oh, a little, it's a a little hero origami going on? Yep, I didn't know not. So I, so I ended up, I ended up texting, I ended up texting CJ, right? And I just, all I said was, I hear you. I hear you. You enjoy feet, and he goes, "Where'd you hear that from?" I'm like, I'm not. Tell, I'm not breaking my sources up on that. No, he doesn't. He thinks it's hilarious that people send me the pictures or send me the requests, and then he. Oh. No, he feeds into it. He thinks it's hilarious oh. that I get creeped out by it, and then he encourages these people. He cracks me up. He's one of the the nicest people in the world too. The whole group is Swift. Um, when you can get Swift off his phone, uh, he's a good guy, but he's pretty intense. I met uh, Coots. Coots. Uh, Coots came to uh, visit me and Nancy too this year. He's really cool. Yeah, so I see here, him all the time. He's down here in Houston right now and having a good old time. But when we were leaving Oakland the other day, he he. He loves the. I guess he's single now, so he likes to. He likes to hit on all the women, and he found this woman that was leaving Oakland, and he goes, he goes, hey, let's go out and party. And she was with like four of her friends, and she goes, well, I'm married. And he goes, are you happily married? <laughs> I can see him being very direct like that. He's he is. He's hilarious. He's just. He's a blast. We had dinner with uh, Jermaine Bridgemahan and Jermaine's um, a great guy. Yeah, he is. And he's, I didn't know they were friends until he was here. And then they they were sitting at the um, uh, uh, Sean or who? Wait, yeah, no, Jermaine. They were sitting at the bar together, and I was like, I didn't know you guys knew each other. He's a really yeah. great guy. Yeah, Jermaine's a good, he's a good dude. jockey too. Yeah, yeah, he is. He doesn't get enough mounts though. I mean, he does with Tom. I think so, he needs a local agent here in Indiana. He's got Vic. I know, but I feel like, he, not that he shouldn't use Vic. I have no problem with Vic, but I feel like he would get more here in Indiana if he had one of the guys that are in Indiana. I, I would agree. 
because there's so much think, there's so many indiana broad races here and and like there's so much money to be made with the you know that kind of thing i feel like he would it would probably be like good for him so i had gotten a uh when bruno and i were working together we were on better terms uh we had found a uh dam that was in full to palace and he dropped like correct babies and we were gonna and i was trying to find out who to send the horse to like what breeding program other than kentucky and i sent i sent you and nancy a private message asking what do you think indiana is it worth sending a dam there so she could be bred and i hear and I got no response from either, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to send her to Kentucky. <laughs> I, I, I don't believe you with these with these messages that you're sending. Where are they? Hold on, hold on. Do you really oh, want me to go oh, far, that far back? The only message I have from you is the one that we're on with Caitlin and Jim. No, no. Now, I do one. have message requests that are <laughs> like... 40 million of them that it could be in these here, but I don't know. I think, you're, I think you're making me look bad here. And it's no, no, not no, 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 no. Hold on. I'm looking because I'm pretty good about answering messages. Now, the message requests, I kind of like, I see them. I okay. Don't so this them. one, this one, this one was before we were, we were talking, like talking, talking. And I don't have it anymore. So no, never mind. Disregard. Haha. <laughs> Disregard. Eric's I can't replied, find by it. the way, he's watching baseball. He's got priorities in line here. He gets here super early and he also goes to Clarksville on the weekend. So he usually is gone by now. His, his twins are winning. So oh, yeah. Never mind. I found the tweet. You did? It was uh, a tweet, not a message. It was not it was not a tweet. It was a message, but it was Never sent. Oh, see. Draft. So see, you know draft. what it was? It was an ID 10 T error. Mm. Do you know what an ID 10 T error is? Okay, so you got pen paper there? Mm -hmm. Go I, D, the number 10, T. Idiot. Did <laughs> it? The ten is an I and an O. Yeah, I like those things. Those are fun. So that's that's it. That's how you do it. <laughs> um. So Caitlin usually asks this question, so I'm going to ask it before we go. You guys have been on, around a long time. What if if you guys had to list a horse that's your favorite? Who is it? Oh. Like any horse? Yeah, like any horse or any horse. I don't have to answer like some famous horse. I can answer any horse I want. Any race horse you want. You go first, Jim. I got to think about it. Um, you know you know what? Uh, can, can I get more than one? Yeah, yeah. You can give as many as you want. I want two. Um, uh, I think, as you may know, I worked uh, for a brief time with Midwest Thoroughbreds. Yes. Um, I, I, I like to believe that I was one of the first to recognize that work all week was really good. 
Um, I knew it the second the horse broke his maiden. And uh, from there on out, we, we tried to get him uh, moving up the ranks as quickly as possible. And uh, he ended up being a Breeders' Cup Sprint winner. Um, the other horse that they had at the time when I was working for them was the Pizza Man. And uh, I was with him before he was a stakes horse. So I, again, thought really early on he was going to be really good. And uh, he ended up turning out to be an Arlington Million winner. So uh, I have uh, his halter sitting in my house and uh, very proud to have that. But uh, those are probably the two that are most uh, near and dear to me. I, I think love the my, pizza man. You, did you talk about the pizza man last time we were on podcast, didn't you? Yeah, we talked a little bit about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think mine, if I'm going to do, I'm going to do Indiana bread one. So, like, I think my first, my favorite was Lady Foghorn was one of my favorites because Tony Granitz had just moved, you know, his tack here. And she was just like an absolute beast. She was a beast. And she always impressed me. She always tried really hard. She's one of the winningest, you know, Indiana breads. And um, I was, he always kept me, Tony knew I loved her. So he always like kept me, I almost felt like a little mini owner or something. Like I always got to know like what she was doing or I got to come feed her peppermints and stuff like that. Um, and then I think another one was uh, Bucaro as well, because he ran in the Breeders' Cup races. And that was really exciting for us as like Indiana, um, you know, bred and everything. And I'm sad that he went to Florida, but I think that was one of my favorites. And my first, I also loved another one of Glyshaw's, which was um, Unreachable Star. And he loved to eat watermelon. See, I'm a horse girl. So like, even though they're impressive on the track, I get these, I form these like emotional attachments to horses. And, um, and when I did his retirement ceremony, we did like a little ceremony in the winter circle. I was like secretly pregnant and no one knew. And so I, I took that picture with him. So I like always remember that it was like me and Ray's first professional picture together. (laughs) (laughs) And he was very impressive as well. We've actually named stakes after all three of them as well. And they all mean something special to me. The pizza man is unbelievably smart. I've never, I've never been around a horse that's as smart as him. I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. I've been around Silver Charm. I've been around War Emblem, um, but he he ranks right there as far as smarts is concerned. Yeah, I remember War, War Emblem was an idiot at the start of his career, though. So no, he was he got, he he got was, scratched he before was, his first start at Arlington Park. He got he bolted he and was, got loose in the paddock. Wow. He, so you know you know the story of how he retired, right? Or what happened? What when happened? he retired, no. So um, after the Pacific Classic, War Emblem was going to the track, getting ready for the Breeders' Cup. And he stopped wanting to get to the track. So he would literally just stand still. And it wouldn't matter mm-hmm. what the jock would do or the exercise rider would do. If the exercise rider forced him to do something, he would drop the exercise rider and run back to the barn. Yeah, I can so believe it. Bob, Bob did everything in his powers to change his patterns to do it. But anytime the horse would see the track, he would dump the rider and go back to the barn. So that's when that's when he decided that, okay, I guess this horse doesn't want to run anymore. The funny part, he did that in Japan with the broodmares. 
<laughs> when he didn't want to breed anymore, he stopped breeding to the broodmares. No, they, they, he literally stopped breeding to certain different the chestnuts and then the bays and then dark bays and rowans. And then what happened was um, they actually put a bunch of mares in his paddock and he wouldn't touch any of them. And the Japanese were like, well, what do we do now? And they sent him to Old Fronts. Huh. So, Interesting. yeah, he, um, man, he was, he was something. I love that horse. That horse, that horse, when I used to go there at first was so mean. And by the time before he passed away, we had like this perfect rapport to where he knew exactly what I wanted from him. And it was nothing as far as like, you need to do this for me, that for me, you just need to, you just need to be you and I'll feed you. And that's it. So that's all right. Yeah. I mean, he was a great, yeah. Good life. Uh, Now the other question, and this usually gets you in trouble. Most of our people in trouble. You have one big race. Who are you going to use? As your writer, uh, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> Where's the race? Caitlin long? Asked more that than one. You asked that. Caitlin asked that. No, here's a question though. Where Where is the race located? Yeah, depends. And I'll explain why so, after you tell me. Uh, let's say Kentucky Derby. Okay, so you need a Churchill-based rider. Does it have to be a current rider? No, be any rider. Ooh, twist. Okay. And, and here, here's the reason I asked what track it's at. I've seen so many Illinois derbies, and Hawthorne has a very similar track set up, actually, to kind of how Hoosier Park was when they raced thoroughbreds. It's very tight turns. It was a long stretch. Hawthorne has a full quarter of a mile stretch. We have seen numerous Illinois derbies where you've had riders come in from out of town and they're putting their horse four wide, five wide, making that move at the three-eighth pole, thinking they're swooping by, and they're out of horse at the 16th pole. And yeah. you see Chris Amy, Timmy Thornton, Randy Meyer, Mark Gidry over the years, the guys that saved ground the whole way through going on and winning that race. So going back to if I had to win a race at Churchill Downs, I'd probably say Calvin Burrell in his prime, only because oh. know the track, save ground, know where to put your horse, at any time, nobody else wins on mine that bird that year, other than Calvin. You got you got to know the track. So that that's who I would say if my uh, race is at uh, Churchill Downs. If you said Santa Anita, it would be someone else. If you said Hawthorne, it would be someone else. But Churchill Downs, that's who I'm going with. If it was Santa Anita, I would I would definitely go with either Gary Stevens or Lafitte. Probably Lafitte for me. Oh, Lafitte, yeah. yeah, that's what no. I would that's what I would say at Santa Anita. No. Okay, no, so true. really well at Indiana Grand. Even I mean, I interviewed him forever ago when I first started. Um, is Florent Giroux on Indiana Derby Day and Indiana Oaks Day? He does so well here. And when he was riding like stakes, when I like back, you know, a long time ago, it's like he always cleans up on stakes days. Mm-hmm. So I think I do. He, he won on ten claimers for me when I owned horses when he was. Did he really? Started. Yeah. I started from the bottom. Now we're here. So, but uh, so you what, know what? He, he gave incredible feedback though, getting off a horse. He could he could tell you what happened in the race, oh, tell you if he messed up, if he did right, give you feedback that would help. And uh, I think that's part of the reason he's doing as well as he is right now. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of jockeys that do that nowadays. No, like uh, 
Jermaine Bridge Mahan and I had this conversation. Uh, you know, my sister used to be a writer back in the 90s. So I would watch a lot of film with her. So he was telling me what, you know, he would, he, he told me things that I knew, but it was nice to get reinforced. But he used to be like, look, there's some writers that ride really high in the stirrups, so they don't have a lot of push. And there's some writers that ride really low in the stirrups and they have more finish. And you have to see all these things to make sure that you know what type of horse you're on, because if the horse doesn't fit the rider, you're not going to get anywhere. And so I'm, I'm always constantly amazed at the riders in general, because there's, there's so many little nuances that nobody knows. Sure. On that. Here's, I mean, here, and here's, here's a great example for you. Hawthorne is a track that could change by the day, depending on where the track man has the blade or how much he puts the blade down. In the fall meet, every single day I watched Jareth Loveberry walk out to the racetrack, walk all the way across from path to path in different spots, and then during That's the day smart. he'd know where to put his horse. So That's he was the smart. only one I saw do it during the meet. Hmm. It's kind of like Indiana Grand, the first three races of the card when they used to start at 1 o'clock. Um, you never want it to be in the front of the race because the wind blows there's a headwind on the back stretch. Oh, windy out there. So, so if you sit if you sit in front, a horse that's right directly behind him usually yeah. ends up winning the race. And it's amazing how many people don't notice those things. So when you go back and you look at your PPs or something, and you see, what, oh, well, he was on the lead and he spit it. Well, what time did he run at? Right? That's the biggest question. Mm -hmm. So last, last thing real quick, we do have a big weekend. We have bluegrass stakes. We have... Santa Anita Derby, the Wood. What race are you guys looking forward to? Now I'm pulling them up because I want to look and see. Um, I have the uh, whole card because Eric and I are settling Lipstick Gate this weekend. I haven't even announced it. You're hearing it here first. We are having the cap off on Keeneland's card Saturday. So it's going to be blue. A, so it's that is be a group. That's a group one. That is a graded. Grade one race, if I've ever seen a grade one race at this time, a year, three-year-olds. That's probably the race that I'd focus on, too. I mean, Santa Anita, you know, Baffert's going to be favored. Uh, New York, you're seeing the same horses that are kind of knocking heads. Um, I, the bluegrass is kind of your, your – you get the bluegrass, and then you get the Arkansas Derby coming up where your last group of, of really good horses converge in a larger field. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would probably say the bluegrass as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. And with that, the good Zoom room is officially closed. I thank you both for being on and appreciate it. I wish Caitlin was here because I think it would have been a lot more fun and enjoyable because Caitlin always has something witty to say. But <laughs> greatly, greatly appreciate you guys taking the time and energy to come on and, and discuss horse racing and just have a good time and enjoy it. You know what, Andy? If I hadn't texted Rachel, she would have been on for about four minutes of the show. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, I literally I, thought it was uh, five o'clock our time. You, you told me four o'clock your time, and I said, "Okay, no, I'll work." Don't I'll take work, don't, three. don't feel bad. Don't make don't. It's my fault. I do this shit all the time. I, I literally do it all the time. And like, literally he sounded exactly like Nancy when I screw something up like this. He was like, you are killing me <laughs> or whatever. So I, it's a, yeah, this is just, this is just me. I fly by the seat of my pants, unorganized. 
just don't change. Don't change. I am my own yeah. crown of thorns. You're, you guys, you guys are both great on Twitter. You guys are both great human beings. Um, Thank because you. I've seen the inter- I've seen the interactions you guys have with your fans, and it's and the people, especially. I feel bad for for Jim ninety nine percent of the time because inevitably somebody is complaining about something at Hawthorne, and they're and always directing it at Jim. They complain all the time about it. I mean, that's just people like to complain. Yeah. No, my personal my personal favorite was. You know, you really should figure out who the um, director of marketing and the Twitter accounts for Indiana Grand is before you start tweeting about the person that you're tweeting about. Because some <laughs> lady was going matter, after you one day. Call them out to let them know you're serious. Hey, I, I honestly, had... we do so much for marketing. People say mean things about me all the time. It's not just foot pics and you're sexy. People say mean stuff all the time, but... <laughs> We do so much for marketing. Sometimes I like to remind people that we market our product more than a lot of tracks do. Yep. You know what I mean? No, so. you you guys, Sam Houston Race Park is one. Hawthorne does a good job. Um, I think I think the funny part is is that like with Sam Houston, when I do the paddock previews, um, I got humbled the last time I did them because I had a nine year old walk into the studio. <laughs> and tell me that she had she had picked the first three winners of the race and asked me how many I had picked, and I told her zero. Oh, that um, reminds me of when the old man walked on the set with yes. me. That was, he was the best. I've never laughed so hard in my life. He was so good. Oh my god! Yeah, and Nancy, when like, she's trying to laugh, you can like she's trying <clears> not to laugh, or when she laughs, like you can feel it from her, and like I could just feel her sitting over there like internally and she was just it literally making me die laughing so i feel you on that buddy but andy, andy oh, here's the thing though just understanding you got to understand it's going to happen especially when you're picking every race of every day it's yeah. just going to happen things are going to come up have fun with it rachel had a guy like I said she walked right on stood right between her and nancy had his ass to the camera and <laughs> it, it is, is sitting there on air and, and and they're answering questions for him, and it was great because then that you could see them both cracking up and starting to lose it. I've been oh. sitting there before on the stage. I had this little three year old kid come up and just climb up and just want to sit on my lap during the show, and I ended up sitting there for the rest of the show with this kid. His dad's no way screaming and, and yelling at the horses, and he's sitting on the on the show. I mean, just pointing at different horses. So that's I, thought, happen, I thought it was. It. Oh no, I I had a great time because every time she walked by, I would just wave to her. And, and smile at her and at one point in between races she came in with her brother and I had them walk in and, and sit in the studio and they were talking on the camera because the camera wasn't on but they thought it was so they thought it was cute I, I got a blast out of it and I, yeah, I love that story because it's like I got humbled by a nine-year-old and I love yeah. it sure. and then again I usually get humbled every day when I do stuff uh, when it comes to picking winners because sometimes I go over and it's fun. It's so, not easy. Not, we call it a no-hitter at all. Yeah, you a no-hitter. no-hitter. Yeah, but Rachel doesn't do that. I so. do. That I've happens. never seen you do that. It happens. You can throw a no-hitter. A perfect game is when none of your top picks hit in the top three. I've, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely done that. Very few really? times, for sure. Uh. All right, guys, I got to get out of here. 
Yeah, so do I. Thank She's got to feed the rabbit. It. 